a radio show that confesses Christ without confusing the law and the gospel. A radio show that takes Scripture seriously without taking ourselves so seriously. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. I don't know that I necessarily want the people to remember my sermon for uh, a week as much as I want them to uh, receive that Word of God right there. If this is a, uh, a download of information, it's important that you retain that information. Yeah. But if this is being addressed by a, a burning bush, I know that a burning bush talked to me. And I said to the guy, uh, look, at when the Bible talks about vision, it's, it's talking about the death of Jesus. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. It's talking about the gospel. It's talking about confessing the creed. And his answer to me was, yeah, uh, I'm not using vision in the biblical sense, but rather in the business sense. <laughs> okay, then. All right. I, by the way, had no knowledge of that encounter when I posed the hypothetical. <laughs> what an awful week, because this week we were recording three editions of Table Talk Radio. It's like a tsunami of mediocrity. <laughs> That's right. Hey, yeah. that almost rhymed. It, almost. Do you know the other day I said something that was really funny? I thought, man, I should have saved that for the show. I know. You, you waste all your good jokes on uh, other people. <laughs> <laughs> when nobody's listening, that's when they're the funniest. So you save all your... Alone I know. in the car. Yeah. Like, man, I wish I would have said that. Hey, quick, let me call Evan. <laughs> that's right. Hey, record this. And then I you, just, I'm going to walk around recording myself, talking to myself. That'll be a good... That, that's a good idea right there. Then you save your good theological content for that other Lutheran radio show. Issues, etc. You know, I I was talking about how or uh, thinking about this, and that is the person who decides what you're going to be talking about is the person who sounds the smartest. So that's because, why I always plan the show. <laughs> because you talk about the things you know. So so like I, I I'm writing this paper about this thing and I'm quoting all this stuff and I'm just saying everything I know about a single topic and they sound like a flat out genius because maybe I say a couple things that other people don't know about. Well, if they would have written the paper, that's what I would say. Man, how do they know all this stuff that I never thought about? So whoever controls the agenda really is the one who sounds smart, which is why you and I sound so dumb on this show. Because <laughs> we, we don't plan There's anything. no agenda. There's no plan, no forethought. And in fact, that's going to be seen in our next uh, our show next week, where we have our uh, Wheel of <laughs> Fortune <laughs> show The show planning. topic generator. <laughs> the automatic JavaScript Wheel of Fortune show planner. Yeah, so we're going to put all of our games into a wheel and then spin it, and then we're going to play whatever it comes up with. Oh, this ought to be a disaster. Reaching new lows. I mean, I think some people some people think that it's been a joke that we do no show prep, but this right, is going to Yeah, you guys. <laughs> obviously, you do tons of show prep. You just act like you don't. Well, well. we're going to show you. We're going to prove. We're going to prove it. You thought Iron Preacher was something. I have 10 minutes to write a sermon on Iron Preacher. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, that's next week or tomorrow or whenever. Today, the show consists of emails, buzzwords, things like that. And then we're going to play Book of Concord B. We're dusting the dust off of the... We're dusting the minute. dust? That's... Okay. How do you say it differently? That's interesting. We're dusting hmm. the dust. Are you, we are. We're verbing the noun. We're dusting the dust <laughs> off of the Book of Concord, cracking this guy open, trying to figure out what's in here. We're going to read quotations from the Christian Book of Concord, our Lutheran Confessions, and the other guy has to guess where they come from. Points are offered, points are won, 
And then you can say something about it. You know, the games are just an excuse. And then we're going to do Ten Commandments in the News, I believe. That's last segment. Nice. That sounds like a good show, man. Sounds like a good show to me, too. So let's do buzzwords first. My buzzword for you is the word Catholic. Not to can be not to be confused with catholic, which is a cute way to make fun of Roman Catholics. <laughs> Catholic means according to the whole or universal. I think that's probably just the best definition is universal. So when we talk about the Catholic Church lowercase c, we're talking about the church in every place. Cool. All right. We say so, it in the creed. I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. Now, Luther translated translated that into German as the word Christian in German. <laughs> I don't know what that is. <laughs> and then we translated his Luther's German into Christian. So the most Lutheran churches will say, I believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church, one holy Catholic church. Same, same thing. Same teaching. Okay. And I'm pulling my theological buzzword from a website called tabletalkradio.org, a buzzword tab. And I see on here we have the buzzword rectilinear. Oh, nice. And this is the definition of rectilinear according to tabletalkradio.org. It is that the prophecies of Christ in the Old Testament were fulfilled by Christ. <laughs> That's kind of a... I like that. Because it's sufficiently obnoxious to annoy anybody who's not a rectilinearist. <laughs> Which, uh, well, now I have to describe a little bit about this. Uh, so the idea is that when... I think you should let that definition stand. Okay, that's what it means. Uh, the prophecies of Christ in the Old Testament are fulfilled by Christ, and that's a recti- that means rectilinear. <laughs> okay, now um, we do some emails. Do you have an email, Pastor? I, I got one from Mark from Illinois who writes, uh, Hello, my mediocre Lutheran radio hosts. Love the show. Well, it is hilarious a quarter of the time. The rest of the show is just painful. Okay, write that down. One quarter hilarious... Three quarters pain. <laughs> Got it. Anyway, I am currently an evangelical looking into conf- the confessional Lutheran faith. I've read several Lutheran books, and I'm currently working on memorizing Luther's small catechism. God be praised. That's fantastic. I've gotten to the end of the section on the Ten Commandments, and at the end, Luther explains the meaning of Exodus 25. Luther says that God promises grace and every blessing to all who keep his commandments. Therefore, we should gladly do according to his commandments. I've read some commentaries on the small catechism, and they have said that Luther organized the catechism following law and gospel. So is Luther's explanation of Exodus 20, verse 5, simply to thunder home the law? Or is he speaking both law and gospel in his definition here, since he mentions grace? Why would he talk about getting grace for keeping God's commandments when we can fall away and do fall away, and it seems to destroy the very concept of grace? Can you clear this up for me? Thanks, Mark. P.S. I also have a church sign. We'll get to that later. All right. Uh, the close of the commandments. God promises grace and every blessing. Always keep his commandments. Therefore, we should gladly do according to his commandments. But God uh, promises wrath and anger. Those who uh, hate him and break his commandments, that we should fear God and not do not disobey his commandments. That's my paraphrase. Well, uh, What well, say you? What was the writer's name again? Mark. Mark. Well, it sounds like Mark has uh, figured out this uh, distinction between law and gospel, and that is to say... That the uh, the law is particularly for those who uh, are hard in their sin, and then the gospel is for those who have been broken. Um, their sin has been revealed to them, and they they know they're standing before a holy and righteous God, and they are terrified, and they need the gospel to comfort them. Now, what we don't want to get those two wires crossed and say that um, that the law delivers to us uh, like the things uh, of God's grace, because then. 
That's uh, works righteousness. We're earning it. So I think that he's uh, properly identified uh, the problem. I think here what we can understand Luther talking about in the small catechism would be simply what are the uh, this world results of the Ten Commandments. So if I um, if I decide to despise the Sixth Commandment and go sleep with whoever I want, I'm more apt to get an STD or something like that. Whereas in the uh, if I listen to the wisdom of the Sixth Commandment in this life, I'll probably have a happier life because I'll uh, be faithful to my wife and, and care about my kids and things like that. So I think uh, the, that in, in a civil sense that there's a natural law result of the Ten Commandments. That's the first part. What do you think? Well, I think that's right. So there are promises connected to the law, just like there are promises connected to the gospel. But the law promises are conditional if you keep this. So, for example, uh, honor your father and mother, and it will go long with you, and you, it will go well with you, and you will live long in the land. That's, uh, Paul points out that that's the first commandment with a promise, so that when we honor our father and mother, things go better for us. That's uh, the promise. But it's a conditional promise. Uh, things go better when you keep the law. They go bad when you break the law. The gospel, on the other hand, is a specific promise. It's not just the promise of grace or good things. Uh, it is the promise that God will forgive your sins, and that and, and that's by the death of Christ. And that promise is unconditional. There's no if to the promise of the gospel. So law promises are always if. Gospel promises are always uh, unconditional, completely given freely, apart from any sort of works or obedience. Yeah, well said. Uh, so we talk. We can talk about common grace. I think that's what the Reformed like to call it. In other words, if you do well, things go well, and if you don't, then they don't go as well. Uh, that's how it goes. Now, uh, Mark continues, I have a church sign. The sign I read recently said, doing what is right is never wrong. Okay. <laughs> is that... Do, that's the, put that in the category of church sign tautologies. That reminds me of the church sign I saw, doing what is wrong is never right. <laughs> <laughs> that's a right that's a, that reminds me of the church sign I saw that says, going left never gets you right. <laughs> Wait a minute. Let's try to keep it not political here. You want another one? Yeah. Uh, is this going to be... Uh, Dear Brian, it says... No, I changed know- my mind. <laughs> Do you know where this recording came from? It's a link to a YouTube video, uh, and it is the debate between Dr. Scare and Dr. Price, which you hosted. I'm trying to determine its copyright status so I can use it with classes in the CTS media I don't server. think that email was intended for, like, on-air reading. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's a good one. <laughs> Just next in the list. Remember when we had that debate? This is good for people to know because it was a long time ago with Dr. Professor Scare at the seminary. And who is the guy? Price? Uh, Robert Price, yeah. Who is a denier of the resurrection. Jesus Seminar. And, and you ha- you hosted that debate. Yeah, Where that could fun. people fi- find something Oh, like they could find that on tabletalkradio.org. Just click on Table Scraps, along with many other interviews that we've done. They can uh, listen to that and, uh, and, and tell us what they think by calling us 1-800-385-SOLA. All right. All right, we'll take a break. Bible, no, excuse me, Book of Concord be right after this. Don't All go right. away. There isn't a way in the English language to indicate we are using the singular you. 
but thank you for listening to Table Talk Radio. Was it you who spoke the words that things would happen but not to me? All things are gonna happen naturally. Oh, Welcome back to Table Talk Radio. Is that one on your list, Pastor Wolf Mueller? Um, is that Jason Mraz? Yeah. I do like Jason Mraz. I like his more upbeat stuff. Oh, that one's a little bit too slow for your taste. That one. He does have that one that he exception. sings with Kobe Calais. Yeah, you like that da, one? Da, 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 da. I like that one. Da, 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 da. For you, for, for any questions about uh, music culture, email prbw at tabletalkradio.org. I play, I play preaching to Hollywood all the time. Good. All right. Well, the way this works is uh, we read a passage from the Book of Concord. Now, the Book of Concord is a collection of confessional documents. They are the confessions of the Lutheran Church. And uh, now, there's always this kind of standard. So just because you have something out on your sign, like Christian, doesn't mean the people in the church are Christian. Um, The question is, what do the people in the church believe? And if they believe uh, certain criteria, then that would make them Christian. Well, so it is with the Lutheran church. Just because it says Lutheran on the sign out front doesn't mean they actually uh, are Lutherans. What's the standard? Well, there is a standard. It's the believing as Lutherans have always believed. And uh, that can be found in a in a book um, co- uh, compiled in 1580 called the Book of Concord. And uh, what we like to do is read a passage from it and try to guess which of the ten documents uh, of the Book of Concord is being read here. So do you want to run through the ten, ten documents real quick? Sure. The first three are the ecumenical creeds, the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, and the Athanasian Creed. And those are from the ancient church, and the Lutherans included those in this 1580 publication where they said, hey— uh, we believe like everyone else believes. The first uh, uniquely Lutheran document is the Augsburg Confession presented at the Diet of Augsburg to Emperor Charles V when he said, Hey, look, we're about to get overrun by the Muslims. Why don't you guys get this whole doctrine thing straightened out? So the Lutheran princes brought this confession uh, uh, June twenty fifth, 1530. The Catholics refuted it with the the document called the Refutation. <laughs> Uh, which was in kind of embarrassing little thing that they did. And then Melanchthon wrote a response to that, and that's called the Apology or the Defense of the Augsburg Confession. And that also is in the Book of Concord. So that gets us to five. Three creeds, Augsburg Confession, Apology of the Augsburg Confession. Then we have uh, Luther's Confession that he wrote for the um, Small Called League. Those are called the Small Called Articles. And a little appendix to that that adds a little discussion about the problems with the Pope called the Power and Primacy of the Pope. You have Luther's two catechism, the small catechism and the large catechism. And then the final document was 1577. Uh, that was the, called the Formula of Concord. And there was a bunch of disputes that arose in the Lutheran Church after Luther died about original sin, about righteousness, about law and gospel, about good works and so forth, about election, the Lord's Supper, two natures of Christ, adiaphora, what we can do and uh, what we can't do in times of debate, etc., Christ descent into hell. And those are uh, part of the form of Concord, and that document kind of comes to us in two ways, the solid declaration, which is the whole big deal of the form of Concord, and then the epitome, which is basically like the Cliff Notes version of the form of Concord. But both the both the solid declaration and the epitome are a single document called the Form of Concord, 1577, and that was all published together 
as the Christian mm. Book of Concord in 1580. <sighs> now, let me get into some of the more subtle details of the history. <laughs> well, I, I would I would assert this, and I think that Pastor Wolfmiller, you would agree, that the Book of Concord um, addresses um, most of our theological problems today. And that is to say that uh, just because there were some particular theological issues at the time of the Reformation, that these uh, reformers like Martin Luther and friends uh, took issue with teachings of the Roman Catholic Church almost 500 years ago, doesn't mean that, well, this old dusty book is just a matter of history. But in fact, the devil likes to recycle many of the same heresies over and over again. So just as uh, Rome talked about justification as being a process that one is becoming uh, right before God rather than uh, simply is declared right before God. So we have that language even today, that it, it's not one's uh, faith alone through which one is um, is declared right, but uh, through a process of moral progress. And this is recycled even today. So that the, the, the teachings, the theologies of the Book of Concord matter, <laughs> matter for us to read today. It was amazing. I was, someone asked this morning in Bible class, what's the difference between those guys in the ELCA Evangelical Lutheran Church of America and used guy us guys in the Missouri Synod LCMS. Here, well, here's one of them, and that is that the in the ELCA seminary they teach the Book of Concord not as systematic theology, not as doctrine, but as historical theology. What we used to believe, <laughs> we teach this as the teaching of the church. This is the confession of the church, the living confession of the church. We still hold to this, and every church. Missouri Synod says, hey, we, uh, we believe the doctrine of the Book of Concord, and every Lutheran pastor in their ordination says something like, uh, I, I believe these confessions and I make them my own, which I didn't want to say when I was ordained because it sounds like what Paula Abdul would always say to people singing on American Idol. You took that song and made it your own. <laughs> I, I didn't want to make the confessions my own. I just wanted to also confess them. But I guess that's what it means. So, okay. actually, I guess I actually did say that. All right, I have a I have a paragraph for you, and you have to you have to say where it comes from. Oh, it's a piece of cake. Relics. Here, so uh, many open lies and foolishness are based on the bones of dogs and horses, because <laughs> of such shenanigans at which the devil laughs. They shall have long ago been condemned, even if there were something good in them. In addition, they lack God's word, being neither commanded nor advised, and are completely unnecessary and and useless thing. The worst part is that relics, like the math, etc., were also uh, to have produced an indulgence and the forgiveness of sins as a good work and an act of worship. That, now, this is an amazing thing because... You know, when people study the history of the Reformation, and you say, hey, what started the Reformation? They say, indulgences. Uh, indulgences, that's what, that's what the big thing is. And uh, true enough that, that the whole big fight started when, when Luther said, hey, you shouldn't sell forgiveness. That was the 95 Theses uh, against indulgences. But that was way—I mean, that, Luther was not even a Lutheran then. He, I mean, you read the 95 Theses, which is not included in the Book of Concord— Man, he had a long way to go. And interestingly enough, indulgences don't come up in the Augsburg Confession. I mean, huh. here it is, the Lutherans say, what do you believe in, the, and what's your problems with us? And I don't even think that they mention indulgences once. Maybe if they do, it's like a footnote. 
Indulgences come up very, very rarely in the Book of Concord, but they do a few times, and uh, Luther will talk about them in small cold when he's talking about the kind of the devil's spawn that results from the false doctrine of the Mass, the sacrifice, the re-sacrifice of Jesus for sins, which is what the Catholic Church called the divine service. And I think that's what you're quoting from. Luther, it sounds like Luther when he's being kind of snarky there. And I think that would then be Luther talking about the um, uh, uh, the Mass in Small Cold, Part 2. You got it. Ding, 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 ding. So I think you get, what, seven points for that or something like that? A hundred. Okay. The points are like all the benefit you get from visiting a relic. Dang it, I should have <laughs> Great. Now you just ruined the points joke. <laughs> Did you re- are you rec- you're recording this, right? So just, let's just put that in. Play that the, later? Uh, okay. Relics are like... Okay, now... Wait, points are like... I'm going to get it all wrong. When I relics say it at the end, I'm going to... Relics are like r- relics are radio like points. The, oh, wait, wait. Oh... I'm so confused. <laughs> now, the relics, so this is an interesting phenomenon in Catholic theology because we see that Jesus does join his promise to physical things, like in baptism, there's water in word, and in the Lord's Supper where the elements are the body and blood of Christ in the promise. But the uh, Catholic Church is just going to expand that and say that the, the certain things can have various different spiritual powers this is, I used to work when we lived in Albuquerque, and I we had a little watch store down in Old Town, and right behind it was this guy who it was, his little store was called Saints and Martyrs, and he had a little store where he sold relics. And I'd walk over there every couple of weeks and say, "What's new?" And he says, "Oh yeah, I got some blood of Saint Francis over here, and <laughs> you know, I got like a fingernail of Francis of Assisi, and uh, you know, and I got some hair from Mohammed, or who knows what he'd had back there." And uh, uh, and people would come, and they'd come basically on pilgrimage to these things. Because if you were a saint, that is, if you had filled up all your good works, then you had access to spiritual powers and that God would produce miracles even through your the things left over after you die. And that's how the reliquy, uh, uh, you know, the relics of the saints enter into the Catholic theology. That's how it happened. Okay. We have 30 seconds to get a paragraph from you, and then we got to take a break. All right. It won't even take that long. Ready? Ready. Whosoever will be saved, before all things, it is necessary that he hold the Catholic faith. Hey, Catholic faith. That's my buzzword. Um, yeah. This is probably going to be in one of the earlier documents of the Book of Concord. Um so, so we have the we have the three creeds of of uh, the church. We have the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, and the Athanasian Creed. Um, in our church tradition, we confess the Nicene Creed. Typically, this isn't a fast rule, but typically on Communion Sundays, if your church has non-Communion Sundays, then it's uh, usually Apostles' Creed. And then once a year, we confess the Athanasian Creed on Holy Trinity Sunday. And I think this comes from the Athanasian Creed. Oh. Well, we'll see if you're right. Oh, you're going to hold me in suspense? After this break. Uh, do I at least get 500 points for the buzzword? Uh, no. I made it too easy. I just <laughs>
Table Talk Radio. It's like spinach. We know you don't want to, but it's good for you. That's, that's going to be the singular song on August 8th. Played at the that's reception. right. I do think that is one of the very few songs you can listen to over and over without getting tired, which has been tested out by me. I've listened to it for four days straight. Look, and I'm no worse for the wear. Me and Cat Mohammed Stevens. So before the break, I guess the Athanasian Creed as whoever, your entry. Whoever will be saved before all things, it is necessary that he hold the Catholic faith is the first words of the Athanasian Creed. Wow. Bing, 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 bing. 500 points right there. Now, though I was going to ask you to define Catholic, but we already did that in the buzzword That's right. section of the show. Now, I have a couple of uh, things we can talk about this with uh, the Athanasian right. Creed. I, yeah. Uh, just again mention this uh, in church on Sunday, because there's a couple of lines here that people uh, get all bothered about. Let's see if I can find it here. Um, ah, yes. He suffered for our salvation, sent into hell, rose from the dead, sent into heaven, and seated at the right hand of the Father from where he will come to judge living the dead. At his coming, all human beings will rise with their bodies and will give an account of their own deeds. Those who have done good things will enter the, into eternal life, and those who have done evil things into eternal fire. And then uh, people say, oh, that sounds like works righteousness. Do we really you know, believe that? The Flammy was telling me that he went to a church where they said the Athanasian Creed, but they cut that last part off and said, <laughs> we used to say this, but we don't believe it anymore because we're Lutheran. I I had heard, and maybe I shouldn't say this on the radio. Well, I won't say it if I, if I don't know for sure. Um, that's yeah, that's crazy. kind of embarrassing. Tis. Now, here's what I think about this. Uh, does the Lord judge based on faith or works? And the, and the answer is, it doesn't matter. It does not matter. Because, first verse, Hebrews 11, verse 6. Apart from faith, it is impossible to please God. Which means, if you do not have faith, your works are not going to stand on the Day of Judgment. It is possible for the unbeliever to do good works. I mean, the unbeliever cannot walk up and punch me in the face. That's good work. But that doesn't count for God, apart from faith. See? We need faith to purify so you, even our sinful works. So you're saying it's going to end up being faith anyway? Well, that's right. The only way to manage to do a good work is to first have faith in God. So, so on the day of judgment, the only people that have been that will have managed to do something good and holy are those who believe in Jesus. Now, why does the Lord judge by works and not by faith? I mean, there's four or five Bible passages that talk about the judgment, and it's always a judgment of works. And the answer is, I think. Now, this is a bit of speculation, but I don't think it's too far off that the unbelieving world insists on a judgment of works. So if Jesus were to show up and say, hey, um, uh, we're gonna ju- I'm going to judge you if you have faith or not, that world would say, that's not fair. We haven't been trying to have faith. We've been trying to do good works. So the Lord says, okay, fine. I'll judge you by works. And so the Lord takes the standard that the world insists on, which is, is works, and uses that, and still the world is found guilty. So this has to do with like what Paul says in Romans chapter 2, where he says that the, um, 
Uh, the even though the Gentiles don't have a law or a law unto themselves, and stand condemned because of that. Hmm. Well, that, I mean, my answer was just going to be that it doesn't say that we're saved by those works. It's just that those who have faith will also have good works. Yeah, that's what I said. <laughs> all right. Well, all I care about is that I have all these table talk radio points. Sure. Are you ready what for are another the like? another Hold one? On. I forgot to write this down. Points are like the value of... Yeah, I'm ready. Okay. Whether we call original sin a quality or a disease, it remains true that the greatest evil uh, is this, to be a victim of eternal wrath and death and not even to realize one's terrible lot. And we are poisoned by the venom of original sin from the soles of our feet to the hairs on our head because it befell us in this perfect nature. Who says befell? What I have a, version I have, are I have you a, reading from? I have a comment about that when you after you answer. Oh, you're not giving any hints. No, man. All right, look anything at, away. This is original sin. Now, original sin is talked about in the Augsburg Confession, in the Apologies of the Augsburg Confession, in the Small Called Articles extensively, in the first, uh, in the large catechism, and also in the formula. So this should not, not be difficult for you to narrow it down. So it, it's not in the creeds, and it's not in, it's not in power and primacy of the Pope. Nor is this in these words in the small catechism. So that eliminates five. Yes. Uh, are you okay? There. Are we interrupting your nap time? Yeah, I'm trying to stay awake here. <laughs> I'm boring myself. <laughs> That's the rubric, by the way. We I haven't published it lately, in the, but if the preacher falls asleep during the sermon, the instructions are, everyone leave quietly. <laughs> now, the... Uh, I, uh, I'm, I, I, I do not recognize this. This is a problem. You should probably um, read the Book of Concord then. Yeah, I should. This this language of uh, this, if if we call it a sin, if we call it a substance or a what? How did it say the very first line? Whether we call original sin a quality or a disease. A quality or a disease? <sighs> See, I think the Lutherans had moved on. That's got to be dis- disputing with the scholastics. I don't think the Lutherans were debating that question by the time the formula comes along. So I don't. Th- I'm going to eliminate formula of concord. This is this is. I mean, I'm not on sturdy ground here, um, and I don't think that it's uh, um, Luther who uh, talks like this. Uh, although he does talk a lot about original sin in. So I think it's going to be. I think this is going to be Melanchthon disputing with the Catholics about original sin, and I'm going to say that this looser kind of language is going to be in the apology to the Augsburg Confession. <laughs> so wow. this is, in fact, Luther. Oh, okay. Now, I want to read the little footnote here. I'm gonna, well, Let me read the quote, what I just read, and then I'll read the footnote. Uh, we are poisoned by the venom of original sin from the soles of our feet to the hairs of our head, which, uh, or because it befell us in this perfect nature. And the little footnote says, uh, befell us is a wordplay in German on the word which means accident. This sentence was first written in Latin, which is then later translated into German, for the text of the formula. (laughs) 
Oh, it's the formula quoting Luther. <laughs> oh, dang. I was like wrong like four times. <laughs> well, I blame it on original sin. <laughs> so minus 400 points brings me to a negative 300. I don't know. Yeah, I don't trust you. This is like some sort of new math. <laughs> Minus one thousand brings you a total of negative one million. That's right. I'm uh, go. I'll go. I'll go with it. All right. Two minutes. So, so I need so, another one. Oh, oh, oh. Did you want to talk uh, about? It? Go ahead. Talk about. Yeah, it. Yeah. So this is the, uh, the original sin. The question that came up in the formula, by the way, about original sin is: Is our nature sin, or does sin cling to our nature? And some of the Lutherans wanted to say that sin is our nature. Man is sin. And the the formula says, no, that can't be true because, one, God created man, but he didn't create sin. Two, Jesus became man, but he didn't become sin. Three, Jesus redeemed man, but he did not redeem sin. And four, in the resurrection, we will be man and we'll be completely free from sin. And that is a beautiful argument, in fact, to show that this is, that we can't speak of man as sin as the same. So that sets us into using the language of disease or corruption of nature to describe sin. Ah, very good. Uh, okay, ready? Scripture is full of such testimonies as teach that sacrifices ex opere operato do not reconcile God. According to the New Testament, since Levitical services have been abrogated, teaches that new and pure sacrifices will be made, namely faith, prayer, thanksgiving, confession, and the preaching of the gospel, afflictions on account of the gospel, and the like. Hmm, okay. Hmm. This could be a number of places. The Augsburg Confession or the Apology of the Augsburg Confession come to mind first. This could also be... Um, I mean, it could be in the formula on the Lord's Supper, but... I think no. I'm going to retract that because I think that the formula deals more with um, the reform view of the Lord's Supper than it does the Mass. Um, let's see. I guess it could be in. It could be small called. So okay. So I'm, I'm going. To, it's either the uh, Augsburg Confession, the Apology, or small called. We'll find out after this break. Wait a minute. You want to go to break? <laughs> I don't know how much time we have. We've got like I 20 seconds. <laughs> I was going to go ahead and render a guess, so then you can, <laughs> then you can do your little cliffhanger. Okay, so what was your answer again? Um, okay, so I don't think it's the, I don't think it's small call. I would expect a little bit stronger language. So I'm going to say that this is the apology of the Augsburg Confession. We'll find out after this break. <laughs> it's too bad you don't have the countdown right in front of you. Yeah, I know it. That would be helpful. <laughs> but you are listening to Table Talk Radio. You can tell us what you think by sending us an email, questions at tabletalkradio.org, or give us a call, 1-800-385-SOLA, 1-800-385-7652. We'll be right back. And a little bit of chicken fried. Cold beer on a Friday night. A pair of jeans that fit just right. And the radio up a lot of sea song See the love in my woman's eyes Feel the touch of a precious child And know a mother's love 
How many Table Talk Radio listeners does it take to change a light bulb? You'll probably have to settle for one. I love jamming. jamming. I like jamming to the Apology of the Oxford Confession. You got that right, eh? Yeah. Who could be calling at a time like this? You forgot to ask if I took my turn my thing off. Did you turn your thing off? No. I'm still jamming. That's my friend Ketchemeyer calling. He's probably upset because I I should. I hung up on him already. He's probably upset because, oh, I still haven't listened to how he beat me at the sermon last week. <laughs> I was just listening to that uh, earlier today. Yeah. I usually just play it back several times. I'm still fuming, I'm you, sure. You, you getting beat in Iron Preacher is kind of like my pregame to another recording. <laughs> <laughs> just to hear those words. For, that should yeah. be the bump. Yeah. The winner goes to the challenger. <laughs> The win goes today to the challenger. I still don't even know if that's true or you guys are just messing me. Yeah, you should probably find out. You should probably find out. All right. I want to know if I was right in Apology of the Iceberg Confession. Oh, yeah, okay. Sorry. I shouldn't do that. You'll find out after the break. Because then you forget. forget what you're doing over the break. All right, so how are you doing? (laughs) All right. So the, the quote was, Scripture is full of such teachings as teach that sacrifices... That sacrifices ex opere operato, which means from the working of the work, do not reconcile God. This is from the Apology to the Augsburg Confession, Article 24 on the Mass. Woo! You got it. So that's 900 points. Okay. How, how do you do it? Your math is horrible. <laughs> All right. I got a news item for you. All right. This comes from Associated Press. It says uh, this is this is um, apropos for you. Israeli what police. What does apropos mean? Um, oh, take it easy. Take it easy. Hey, by the time this show is airing, I'll be in Israel <laughs> looking at the police myself. I know. Uh, and you're gonna be you're gonna be um, having communion there. Is that right? Take it easy. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna have. To, we're gonna have the communion service there. What's your deal? Okay. Anyway. From the Associated Press, Israeli police say they forcibly removed dozens of Jewish protesters who were trying to prevent a Christian ritual from taking place at a holy site uh, revered in both religions. Police oh, you spokesman... think we're going to get protested? <laughs> you never know. Uh, Lumba Samri says the skirmish took place Monday at the site revered by Jews as the tomb of the biblical King David and by Christians as the site of Jesus' Last Supper. On Sunday, dozens of Jewish protesters also attempted to block Christian prayer there for the holiday of Pentecost. A status quo arrangement permits Christian prayer at the site of specific holidays. The Vatican is lobbying Israel for more access to the site, which fundamentalist Jewish Israelis opposed. Um, that's about mm. it. So that's your uh, you story. Know, I, you know what I found out about uh, the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, which is where, which is the traditional location of the cross, uh, the Golgotha, and the tomb of Jesus, that there was this big dispute over it. Well, you know, who gets to have the church, the Orthodox, Eastern Orthodox or the Russian Orthodox or the Catholics or whoever. 
And they so they ended up on this coming to some sort of resolution, like back in the year 900 or something. And to keep the peace, there's some Muslim guy who has to go and unlock the church every day because they don't <laughs> want any of those other guys to have a key. <laughs> Israel. That's it's crazy. Right. It's crazy. Um, yeah, yeah. I don't know what to think about this. I mean, you you know, the... It's it's not I mean the the Jewish folk the Pharisees are always a bit upset at the Christians. I mean from the very beginning until now. So I, I don't know. Now is it true that we're, you're going to be um Skyping in for table talk while you're there? No, remember that's why we have to record a bajillion shows <laughs> tomorrow. Your your uh, father, who's the president of my congregation, is missing a church council meeting, and I was trying to talk him into running the meeting through Skype from we Israel. We were talking about doing a similar thing, and then my dad, who's hilarious, <laughs> said he's he's missing the um, the district convention. Yeah, over there. yeah, he was our delegate. So, yeah, so when he's in town. We're having our Rocky Mountain District Convention for like a d- the day before we go, and she said, we better go so I can at least go to one district convention. <laughs> oh, yeah. He'll go to the microphone. Advisory delegate from Northwest District. <laughs> I'm advisory. I'm the advisory delegate also. So if I go up there to talk at convention, it'll have to be a point of privilege. I don't know how my plan has has been a miserable failure, by the way, to change the standing rules to not allow conversation about anything ridiculous. Did I talk about that on air? <laughs> yes, yes, like seven right. times. I got a news story for you. You didn't even say anything about the news story I gave you. Well, okay, so it has to do with Israel, so that's got to be probably um, second commandment, <laughs> uh, third commandment stuff, false doctrine. Uh, there's also, what else was going on in there? There's Christians that want to have, were they, what were they celebrating? Well, uh, in one case, they were celebrating Pentecost. They wanted to go there to pray. Yeah. Uh, and then another case, it just says that, um, let's see. It just says a Christian ritual. It doesn't, it doesn't specify. True and false doctrine has to do with the second and third commandment. That's really what's going on here. Because it's a government thing, I, I think the government got involved. It's fourth commandment. Because it's a news story, that makes it automatically the eighth commandment. Because the courts and the press, that is the um, eighth commandment, governed by the eighth commandment. Uh, I don't know what else is going on over there. That's good enough for me. In November of last year, this is called, this article is um, from the Wall Street Journal Review. Uh, (laughs) In November of last year, a man purchased a piece of real estate outside of Nashville for $750,000. After checking the local zoning laws, he started making plans to build a private club called the Social Club on the property. But the property backs up to private religious school. And when the Good Pasture Christian School found out that the social club was going to be a swingers club, it complained to the local zoning board. In March, the board passed emergency laws that prohibited private clubs from opening within 1,000 feet of schools, playgrounds, or churches. So what the owner did after his plans were scuttled, he decided to rebrand his club as a church. The owner resubmitted his plan to seek permit for a church renovation project. He even made a few alterations to his original floor plan. According to the owner's attorney, it's going to be a place where people can meet and enjoy fellowship. There's no sexual activity <laughs> that will go on there. I assume if someone meets there and wants to do something uh, of that nature, they'll go somewhere else. 
Since zoning laws in that area didn't ban the construction of churches, the zoning board had no choice but to approve the permit, although the church is still subject to later inspections. Hmm. Okay, so so the guy wants to uh, bring in a, a was it like a strip club or something? Swingers club. Swingers club. Swingers club, which is apparently where you know you you go to commit adultery. That's where you have you have the open marriage business. Ah, okay. Thanks for the explanation. Um, yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> uh, so he wants to do this club, and uh, it's forbidden because it's next to a church or something like that. Uh, it's a Christian school. Oh, Christian school. Okay. And then, so they go so to the they, zoning board. Yeah, they, they pass, pass the a rule. Law. Yeah, that's right. And he says, "Oh, fine, no, I'll right. make it a church." Now, you know, sometimes you hear about uh, the ancient world how they had these uh, like church prostitutes or um, yeah, the various kind of worship of sex and things like that. And you're like, how could a culture be like that? <laughs> you know, how how could you ever? And then here we have it mm-hmm. in our very own day. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so, <sighs> there's a lot of commandments in this one. Yeah, I think you have the the whole Decalogue uh, in this one. Probably. Let's see if I can do it. But I I, I do think it's interesting because um, by calling it a church, he's either lying. Oh, well, I mean, of course he's lying. But uh, he said that there's going to be no sexual activity. So either he's lying and they're going to do that anyway. Or they're just going to get together. Like, he's not, if he's going to be honest about there's really no sexual activity going on there, then they're not actually accomplishing what they wanted to do in the first place. You see what I mean? Like, what are they going to do? Just get around there and say, hey, what's going on? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Some sweet fellowship going on. <laughs> We're just fellowshipping. <laughs> uh, interesting. Um, okay, so. First commandment, uh, worshiping false gods. Second commandment, the Lord's uh, the Lord's name is being profaned and calling this a church, disguising itself as a church uh, when it really isn't. Third commandment, um, uh, they're not they're not getting together on Sunday. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, so you have the the Lord's word. Um, let me come back to that one. Fourth commandment, you have the zoning board is a government issue. Fifth commandment, I don't know if there's a fifth commandment issue here. Sixth commandment, adultery, easy enough. Seventh commandment, uh, stealing. Well, you have a money exchange at uh, at this uh, club. Eighth commandment, um, false witness. I am really interested to see if he's actually telling the truth. I mean, he's act- in fact lying. He's saying... Look, we want to start a church. He had no interest in starting a church until <laughs> the board said you can't do that. And then ninth yep. and tenth commandments um, is not content with what the Lord had given him through the governing board. <laughs> not content with the zoning rules. I don't know. That's the best I can <laughs> nice. do. All yeah, right. That's pretty amazing. Isn't that something of a story? Yeah, that's something. Um, well, that's all the time we have. So uh, thanks for listening to this edition of Table Talk Radio. Where the points are like changing your swingers club into a relic relic viewing place. <laughs> See how that works? Thanks went? for listening to this edition of Table Talk Radio. Table Talk Radio is not for everyone. Please consult your pastor before listening to Table Talk Radio. 
Side effects may include nausea, vomiting, headache, heartburn, hair loss, hallucinations, and aversion to incomplete sentences with aquatic imagery, psychosis, coma, death, halitosis, lung cancer, brain tumors, sleep gain, internal bleeding, internal combustion, a sudden craving to smell your backseat, claustrophobia, an uncontrollable urge to fight the Calvinists on Twitter, and falling off your treadmill. For more information, visit tabletalkradio.org. 